The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Guardian Australia's Brisbane Festival podcast. We'll be coming to you every day this week from Brisbane, where we've got a whole team of people seeing all the shows, talking to all the artists and bringing you reviews, conversations and discussions around the festival. I'm Vicky Frost, Guardian Australia's culture editor, and I'm going to be joined by Guardian critics, including Andrew Street, Ben Neutzer, and today, Van Badham and Kath Feiner. Later in the podcast, we'll be finding out what happens when Australian artists go and camp in Timor and collaborate with artists there. But first, I'm joined by Noel Staunton, who is Artistic Director of the Brisbane Festival, which is a pretty big job. This is his fourth year in it. Does it get easier? No, it gets harder because each time you want to make it bigger and better. But it's it's not about bigger as such, but it's about being different and every time to create new things for the audience. And I always spend each festival roaming around, seeing what people like and how they react. And it's from that I sort of get the ideas for next year. So I'll spend all my time sitting in family groups or people and see what they ooh and ah and what they like. And But it's never easier. So from last year's conversations, this year you've sort of got to focus on youth a little bit. Yes, because I just felt there's this whole young audience in Brisbane and I want to try and find a way to get them involved in the festival because there's a lot of you that... Festivals can be a bit high-end. I feel very strongly about popular culture, and I think a balance of both is, is very valuable. And it's about balancing the free events with the paid events. Um, actually, two of the big free events are an opera and a, and a symphony. Absolutely, because people always feel that somehow opera and symphony is sort of inaccessible and it's not affordable but just to sit out in a park and listen to wonderful singers and we're doing a whole Verdi evening this year celebrating Verdi and we get all those Italians out that love Verdi I hope. <laughs> and so you sort of have this opera in the park that sits alongside probably literally alongside um, sort of Stormy Mills's big pink bunnies which I adore and have been spotting all over the city. <laughs> we, we love our bunnies and it's lovely just to see kids cuddling them and holding them and for me the bunnies are about the child sees one image and the adult sees another image but both enjoy it and bunnies of course are cuddly and positive animals and uh, so it's just a way of a little bit of joy around the city and finding them and spotting them and where they are and how they move like we have a crew that goes around at four o'clock in the morning moving bunnies (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting the way the Stormy Mills project was conceived because it wasn't quite as straightforward as you might think. Last year we planned to do a big project with Stormy Mills down in the valley. Like many projects, we couldn't afford to do it, so it went into the you know the bottom drawer of next year's festival. And Stormy was really gracious when I told him he couldn't do it, and we were both sad. And at Christmas time, he sent me a lovely present of a little bunny that he designed, and. It's been sitting in my desk for a few weeks. I thought, isn't that a really lovely bunny? And I thought, what would happen if we made it four metres high? So I phoned a prop maker and I said, is it possible to build this in a way that is practical? And he said, yes. So then I phoned Stormy and said, Stormy, how do you feel about doing a bunny project? Your bunny's four metre high, popping up all over the city. And he said, yes. 
I don't know how you made that leap to four meter high bunnies, but I do like them, particularly the Gormley-esque ones sort of standing on the edge of Cupac. And what's going to happen to them at the end of the festival? Basically, can I steal one, take it home with me and install it in my garden? I don't think you'd be able to bring it on, on board as, as, as baggage, but uh, you, <laughs> can bring, you can bring it home. But I've told it, people want to know what's happening this next year, but I'm not going to have the bunnies next year. So they'll all might go back into their warren and I don't know where they'll reappear. Some are a bit sunburnt at the moment and they've got a blister and one of them has lost his arm. So, you know, they're all going to go to the bunny hospital. When you say he's lost his arm, has anyone found his arm? Uh, we found his arm, but somebody tried to sort of go home with it. So we found it and they ended up with the police. I'm very keen that, you know, people can touch these um, and I refuse to have barriers around them and, you know, all the security and all that because they should be just there and to be loved and touched. And I say more people hug them than try and rip them apart. And a festival, of course, is quite a big thing to yes. programme. You have to have some things that have that kind of scale as well to make it all hang together. Well, I love scale. I love big scale. I like big projects. And it, one always starts with a blank page. And, you know, there's no one moment where I sit and a thunderbolt hits my head and suddenly I've got a festival. But it's really about what I do is I connect conversations, dialogue, shows I see and saying, oh, what would happen if we did that? Or, you know, like the bunny, it was sitting there on my desk and I thought, why not do a four meter bunny? And for me, it's about connecting the dots. Um, with Freeze Frame, which is one of the major shows this year, I knew I was doing that because it's a project I've been working on for five years. So that when I, when I saw an Adelaide um, urban, I thought, wow, the idea of telling street stories from Los Angeles, wouldn't it be great if we had circus performers from Colombia? In a sense, those two dots came together, but they were sort of disconnected at, at an earlier point. And there's, there's always a moment when you publish the brochure and somebody says, how does it all come together? And you think, oh, I don't know, but it did. <laughs> So Freeze Frame is um, a big new work by Debbie Allen of fame, fame, I suppose. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, No, I was in Los Angeles many years ago and um, I sort of read some stories about th this uh, area in Los Angeles, South Central, and the idea that an eight-year-old kid could get a gun, kill a friend and, in order to become a member of a gang or join a dance troupe. And I was so fascinated by it in a triple A city. You know, there's Rodeo Drive and you keep driving and you end up in Rodeo road and this is where you end up 20 minutes down the road which to me was sort of extraordinary as a you know contemporary society so I was asking some friends about this place and of course nobody take me there because they all knew it was gangland territory but a friend said you know Debbie Allen worked with these kids so one of them knew Debbie so I tracked her down and four months later we met in a New York restaurant and I said look I got this idea and I just felt these stories need to be told and they're being told by the kids themselves, aren't they? Absolutely. And a lot of the performers, they live in this area and they're from this area. Debbie has written the show and they're the stories that she sort of heard over the years or has dealt with uh, in her dance academy. And what I didn't know until recently that you don't join these gangs, you're born into these gangs from who your parents are. And the idea that you're born into a gang that you don't know and your all your life is restricted and you don't know why, but then you're suddenly a member of a gang. You don't think there's a sort of a tension that kind of you have this big show and it's an American show rather than an Australian show? 
People have asked me about that. My view is we live in Brisbane, but I work the world. And the stories are, are, are worldwide stories. And in order to balance that, what we did was we worked with Boys Town who, um, on an art project in Brisbane. So we found kids the same age who will tell their story, their same different stories, but through art. So in the foyer, you'll get a feel for the evening when you look at all this artwork which is and they're done on torsos plaster a plaster paris torso so the idea is that the body is telling a story through art and then in the theater the body is telling a story through music and dance and one is american stories one is australian stories but the reality of life is of course it's a universal story and i think freeze frame is one of your picks isn't it because it's been a long time in gestation and you're very proud of it i think to have got it to stage but oh, yes. what else is on your list, your personal list? My personal list is, of course, uh, the Fabulous Beast Company from Ireland because, A, I love Right to Spring and B, uh, Stravinsky, it's his anniversary this year. I think they start in a week or so, don't they? That's the... correct, yes. And uh, they're doing Petrushka and Right to Spring. And they're just such an amazing company because they give a... It's not about contemporary dance as such, but they just give a very different slant on these stories. And amazing performers you know they're making cups of tea wearing animal heads and cross-dressing all in the rites of spring isn't that in your house anyway it's like I'm that round very round, happy obviously. about that <laughs> <laughs> well thank you very much Noel. thank you a great pleasure you can spot the bunnies all around town now i heartily recommend you go on a trail and do so and you can catch freeze frame from the 19th at cupac I'm Vicky Frost, and you're listening to Guardian Australia's Brisbane Festival podcast. I'm joined now by Kath Miner and Van Badham, who are both with us in Brisbane. Uh, we've just arrived and just got out and started to see some shows. So what have you been seeing, Van? Oh, well, I went to see the light show on the river last night, which was actually wonderful. Like The light show itself is kind of cheesy. It's fireworks without the fire. It's the amazing mainframe on the water of the river. There are light towers set up on all the, all the skyline buildings. It's not about the light show. It's about the community. So there were thousands of people down at South Bank last night. The restaurants were all open. They've got night markets. There's a Ferris wheel. And then all this like, wonderful colour and light down on the, on the foreshore of the city and it was just such an incredible feeling because you know Brisbane very lazy city beautiful sort of meandering river you know associated with sort of subtropical heat and chilling out and then all of a sudden just thousands of families and completely worth the pretext of going down to look at the lights to just hang out with people with that lovely sort of early evening wandering through the arbor kind of atmosphere I had a great time and um, what have you been seeing Kath? I feel very similar to Van. There's this sort of really lovely atmosphere. I completely um, didn't know it was going to be like this. Um, the South Bank I found just so gorgeous and it's a lovely place to hang out in and wander about, really. Um, but I went to see um, My Country, the exhibition at GOMA that's about contemporary art from Black Australia, which just blew my mind. I think you've been to see it as well. I have, you? I yeah. have. It's amazing. I mean, for a start, GOMA is such an incredible building. When you're not from Brisbane, I don't think you quite realise how amazing it is. 
is until you get here. And the exhibition is fantastic and big as well, really big. Yeah, really big. It's just beautifully laid out so that you can sort of take your time with each piece of art. And I just love the sort of sense of Aboriginal artists kind of finding a space and sort of saying something that I found really sort of fresh and engaging about how, you know, I like the way a lot of them were looking back to 1788 and um, kind of saying, actually, we were there then. You know, I love that kind of sense of presence there. There was no Terra Nullius, actually. I, I thought it was a really political show, but just sort of fresh and exciting. Wonderful. I could go and watch it. I, I mean, I will go back and see it again and again. I, you know, I just loved it. Try and see it as often as possible. Oh, I absolutely loved it as well. And to see, uh, yeah, <laughs> no I mean... dissenting voices on No dissenting voices, but I mean, artists like Richard Bell, uh, who's an Indigenous artist, has been making really... I mean, he calls himself a propagandist, not an artist. And his work is so challenging to the white mythology of Australia and the black armband view of history. And it is, you know, art that's responded not only to the historical you know, Aboriginalisation mythology, that's a very white mythology of what Aboriginal culture is, but it's a, a deliberate provocation to the political mythologies that perpetuate against Aboriginal people. I mean, it's it's confronting. It's so healthy for Australians to have that kind of provocation within a gallery like that. Did you see the video piece? No, I missed the video piece on my way through. I sort of had to walk out before the end. It's set up of white actors being racist, saying racist things. And it was just so appalling to keep hearing them over and over again. I found it really, well, a new Australian word that I've learned since I got here, I found it really confronting. It's really great as part of the reviewing team with The Guardian here is to see Europeans react to Australian art. It's It's been marvellous like to see this sort of, oh, this is the political history and this is the political engagement, this freshness coming to a response with that art, and especially something like Aboriginal art because it's the mythology that's usually exported. If you look at Aboriginal art in collections overseas, it's tribal art, it's traditional art. And, of course, you know, this is a, a contemporary people with, you know, very specific political and social issues issues that are going to be at the heart of their artistic practice. And I just find that whole exhibition so explosive for the things that it's willing to say. It really is explosive. And actually, I'd read quite a lot about it and I'd seen quite a lot of pictures and it just didn't prepare me at all for how absolutely amazingly powerful the exhibition is. So I would say if you've read lots about it and you haven't got to Brisbane to see it, do, because I hadn't really sort of grasped uh, its power until I got here and saw it. And I think last night, both Van and I sort of had quite jolly evenings, actually. I went to see Utalempa, uh, who was, of course, cabaret fabulous, although in quite a slightly strange show, actually. She's doing a song cycle based around the songs of Chilean poet Pablo Neruda. And that forms the first half of her show. And then the second half of her show is like sort of the full-on cabaret Weimar, you know, why you go and see Utalempa. The two sat very oddly together actually it was like seeing two different concerts and the first one was kind of the one she really wanted to give and you could feel she was really passionate about it but it was kind of an hour of 20 of music you didn't know sung in Spanish it's quite I think that's quite a demanding thing of an audience and you could visibly see people's sort of shoulders relax when we got to the second half and you know she came out sort of all sexy and languid and kind of you know sort of went into Mac the Knife and it kind of it was real change so it wasn't a bad gig it was just quite an odd gig it was kind of like this is she knew she had to do that stuff because that's what everyone wanted but actually I got the feeling that that wasn't actually the concert she wanted to give 
Interesting. And Van, what did you go and see? Oh, I had such a fabulous time because I was lurking around South Bank in, in my arbours and I went off to see the Sir Columbia show Urban, which is raw contemporary circus from Columbia. And the show is based on the experiences of these young people who are in the National Circus School of Columbia. And it's based on their experiences of growing up in Cali. And I was researching Cali, which is the second largest city in Colombia, which has one of the highest murder rates in the world. It's one of the most dangerous cities in the world. The US State Department has been warning people not to go there for years. It's right in the middle of all the paramilitary and war on drugs conflicts. They have terrible economic problems. Their major tourist industry is medical tourism. People go there for like cheap plastic surgery and that's essentially what's keeping that city alive. And you can imagine the poverty and the crime is just terrible. So these kids have grown up in this very dysfunctional metropolitan city and have made the show through their experiences of training as circus people that's about gang war and street culture and it's got this amazing like reggaeton soundtrack and they do sort of karaoke and they sing. The acrobatics are just off the chart. I've never seen anything like it because it's all done with a sort of breakdancing capoeira kind of aesthetic and very sort of violent and aggressive. And yet, you know, the amazing balances, um, boys on one hand holding other boys on one hand and vaults, the most incredible uh, activity on a lyre from these two girls who are spinning around as the lyre is shaking back and forth. And the interesting thing about it as circus is that it has this kind of weird, you know, youth community aesthetic at the same time they're doing things that look physically impossible so you get sort of welcomed into this really sort of engaged community sort of event with these kids who don't speak the same language that you do who have experiences that I hopefully nobody in Brisbane has ever had but it, it's this really engaging form of circus and the risk of circus and the fact that circus is quite dangerous and the demands on their bodies you're just there the stakes are so high they're doing things without nets and and you're there and you're just rooting for them and they slip up and they make mistakes and they laugh it off and then they dance a bit. It's fantastic. Do not miss. I think there's a real push this festival towards younger people and making sure the festival is relevant for them and the festival work is relevant for them. Um, I don't think Uta would be necessarily what you'd take your 15-year-old to see, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But it sounds like, you know, we've seen actually quite a lot of work where you could really uh, see a younger audience really, really engaging with it. And in fact, of course, being the performance, I think, makes a real difference for people watching it and who you take with it. Well, in the case of Urban, the, the costumes are amazing. There's a man who does the entire show in a pair of vinyl trousers. And that's it. That's all he's wearing. It's very squeaky. I was squeaking, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> These were not unattractive, young ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I will put that on record. It, I mean, it's just visually spectacular. And the thing I really connected to with Urban, it's about the power of being young and having that fearlessness as well as that physical strength. It's did, intoxicating. Did, did it make you feel old or did did you sort of get that all that vibrancy and kind of feel sort of uplifted by it? Or did it make you think a bit like, oh, God, look, they're so young? Oh, I think I, I did run through like an internal monologue about going, I'm very good at what I do. I'm very good at what I do. And it's just like circus it's just a different thing I mean you have to keep your self-esteem together at these times especially when these kids are doing like they were doing quadruple somersaults and quadruple twist turns and the amazing acrobatics with the vault where two guys jump on the vault and the other guy gets flown up into the air it's spectacular stuff I mean if only you could see in this podcast studio dear listener you would see we're doing exactly the same and of course wearing vinyl trousers but we just can't bring that to you what a shame <laughs> We've got to get back out and see more work so we can talk to you about it tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Kath. Thank you, Fan. 
I'm Vicky Frost, and you're listening to Guardian Australia's Brisbane Festival podcast. Dokurai, which translates as You Dead Man, I Don't Believe You, is a collaboration between Australian and Timor-Leste artists, which has resulted in music concerts and a theatre show, which opens later in the week. Alex Benmare is an Australian producer who is behind bringing all of these artists together. Alex, tell me, why Timor? What made you want to collaborate like this? I was originally based in up in Darwin, uh, working as a producer with a whole lot of companies um, in the Northern Territory. And an artist that I knew very well uh, came back from Timor after filming Balabo and explained that he had met this amazing group of young artists in Dili and uh, he really felt an affinity with them and really wanted to work together. And I thought, well, it's so close between uh, Darwin and Timor. It's literally a flight of 50 minutes. You go up, you go down, and all of a sudden you're in a completely different country. We're the closest neighbours. You know, Timor's the closest neighbour that we have. And that opportunity seemed like something too good not to miss. So tell me about the process, how that collaboration evolved. Well, we headed out there to meet up with um, with Osmay Gonsalves and Meli Fernandez. And when we first got to Dili, we caught up with Meli. First thing he said was, you have to get the fuck out of town, man. Uh, let's go all the way to Los Palos and we've got to go now. Why was that, Meli? Exactly. <laughs> we, I should say, we are also joined by Meli. Hello. Hello. So why was that? <laughs> I was having um, a, a terrible fight on the day before. And uh, the next day, I, my prediction it's it will be a gang come and attack us in our place. So when my friend comes, I will like, let's just get out from here. I was late for you guys, waiting for you guys to get out from this place. Let's go. So that well, that is one way to start a collaboration. Uh, you know, quite a dramatic way to start a collaboration. <laughs> Tell me how it sort of developed uh, from that, and and how it's progressed, and and the point you've got to now, I suppose. Uh, we really open to each other. Uh, we try hard to learn each other's uh, culture, each other's life. So the show that we um, ended up creating, we kind of went into it really open. We knew that um, the guys we were working with, there's not really a tradition or a culture of uh, of theatre in Timor at all. So how do you explain? Um, we say the same things every night. But we say the same things every night, but they're different people that come and see it. Oh, but we also do it in the same place every night. All of those concepts are pretty strange, yeah, especially with people who are used to playing gigs. What I was thinking before is is that, like, oh, Alex, you take us to Australia? Oh, okay, what are we going to do there? Oh, you're going to perform where? In this place? Every night? Every night. Okay, same audience? Yeah, same audience. No, really? We never, we never act before. We never do a theater in our life. What, what we? And, do and is... how, how do you feel about it now, though? Well, now you've got over that initial shock of it. What do you think? Uh, now I, I get more excited. Like, oh, okay, you, you are on the stage. You are the focus. People come to see you. So do whatever you like. Tell me about the theater um, piece that sort of has resulted from this. It's a story about two brothers that uh, doing a doku on, on the other brother. Uh, Could you explain, explain a doku for me? It's like a curse, but it's very special from, from our ancestors at time. Uh, that's the only protection. 
that we have uh, if if someone uh, being arrogant or doing whatever he likes because he's physically big and destroy people's things and people have to get together to ask him permission from the ancestor to go after the men who destroy the village or destroy the society. It's curse, but it's more like our, our weapon. We use that to, to against the enemies like the Indonesian, the Portuguese. In this production, we we tell him that the, how the doku works and how the doku is not work. These two, two brothers killing each other because, uh, the, because of the jealousy, but he cannot kill his older brother because of some reason. So we, we can say that the, the doku is uh, broken. Doku Rai is at the Judith Wright Centre. It uh, starts on Tuesday at 7.30pm every evening. Thank you so much, Mane, and thank you, Alex, for joining us. Thanks very much. Thank you. That's all for this time, but do download us tomorrow when there'll be more reviews, more conversations, and we're joined in the studio by a ghost poet. In the meantime, do head to Guardian Australia, where you can find our daily live blog, reviews, features, more things that you could almost possibly read, but do have a go. And join us again tomorrow for the podcast. The Guardian. Mm-hmm.